0: You're listening to Grounded, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Energy.
1: Hello, and thanks for listening to Grounded. On this week's episode, we turn our focus to saving energy in Rip City. My personal Blazer maniac dreams came true when I got to interview two special guests from the Portland Trailblazers organization. Thanks so much for joining me for Grounded. I'm excited to help share some of the great things the Trailblazers and the Moda Center are doing for sustainability. Would you please introduce yourselves to our listeners?
2: Yeah, my name is Krista Stout. I'm the Vice President of Social Responsibility for the Trailblazers, and in my role, I oversee our social environmental impact work from a community perspective, as well as uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and youth basketball.
0: And my name is Scott Sisson. I am the AGM of Facility Operations, and I handle all of the uh, building engineering. Concert production is also part of that, housekeeping, as well as the sustainability projects that we work on.
1: Why is Going Green and Saving Energy important to the Trailblazers
2: organization? Being green and focusing on environmental sustainability is important to our region. And so it's important. We know it's important to our fans. It's important to our employees. It's important to it's really everyone that touches our work. And so for us, just from an internal and external facing perspective, it's a no-brainer. It's also obviously a cost-saving opportunity, so there's a great business case for it. But when it comes to our sort of overarching goals and our 2025 goals that we're trying to, to change – we are really trying to change behavior. So our goal is not only to reduce our impact on the environment from a building side, but to inspire our employees and our fans to change their behavior as well.
1: Can you tell me a little more about your 2025 goals? We have broken down
2: our environmental impact work into sort of five simple categories, waste, water, energy, transportation, and food. And thanks to Scott and a bunch of other folks who've been doing this work for a long time, we have some pretty great data from as far back as 2008, I think that yes. just shows the the changes in our in our impact across those five areas. So what we know that from is that from 2008 until now we've reduced our water use by about 29 percent, and our 2025 goal is to reduce it by an additional 10 percent. On the energy side, we've reduced our energy use by 50 percent and 50 percent. W- mm-hmm. Wow! Thanks yeah. to Scott, who yeah. will talk more about that. About
0: 3,600,000 kilowatts. Whoa.
2: And that is not insignificant no <laughs> and our 2025 goal is to reduce by an additional 20% and on the waste side we started at 38% waste diversion in 2008 we're now above 90 yes
0: F- 11 million pounds recycled diverted every year since 2008, oh, so yeah. 2008. Yeah.
2: Okay. which is amazing um, transportation right now I think 35% of our fans come to games not driving by themselves and our goal is for that to be over 50% using alternative transportation and carpooling. And on the food side, our goal is to actually, by 2025, be completely organic, sustainable, or locally sourced from a food perspective. And right now, we're, I think, almost 100% on beverage. Yes. Beverages, um, at least beer and wine. <laughs> and on the food side, I think we're 40-ish? Uh, I think
0: that's the last number I heard
2: Some, as well. Somewhere so in there. So we're that. trying to get to 100
1: it sounds like you've made huge strides already, and I think the the organization as a whole has always been pretty focused on sustainability. But like you said, in the last you know decade or so, uh, you've really stepped up, and you're getting closer to reaching these goals. So, can you walk me through how the organization decided to make those changes?
0: For us, I think it was it was an awareness that we all came to. The world, it uh, at one time seemed rather indestructible, and it seems much more frail now than it was uh, when I first started here. It was not an awareness that people had. And as you become aware of these changes to the world, then you become responsible for those changes. And I think that there is a responsibility both in community and as a corporate that you, you have a responsibility for the very earth that you're on and all the people that live here. And I think as we go farther and farther into these unknown times where there is definitely no denying climate change anymore, that you have a responsibility to do something about it, especially in the areas where you can do something that has an impact.
1: Well, and I think that you are probably, I mean, forgive the pun, but blazing a trail. I think that this, uh, the Moda Center was the first sports arena to get a LEED gold certification. And did other sports arenas follow suit?
0: It was really difficult at first, when we first looked at lead. I never dreamt that we would have gotten to gold when we first started the process, and I was really heavily involved in that. But as we started looking at it, um, we realized we're an existing building. The building wasn't designed from the ground up to be a lead building. And that's what separated us, because if you design the building from the ground up to be a highly energy efficient building, then it's fairly easy to maintain that. But when you take a building that wasn't designed with that in mind and try to get it caught up to a LEED standard, it was interesting and and some challenges were there, but actually I found that our crews and our staff got into it so much that the insurmountable became easy to do, to a point. Recycling kind of took off, we were able to make some infrastructure changes, we had great support from the Trailblazers from a financial perspective. I really didn't get any pushback on any of the projects that I was working on.
2: Yeah, and I think if you look at a lot of the new buildings, to Scott's point, like Sacramento's new arena, it's amazing, right? Isn't it platinum? It might be It could be, yeah. Yeah, I think it is. But they just built it, right? And so they have every incentive to make it as efficient as possible and as responsible as possible. So the work that Scott and his team did to retroactively get us to that point is pretty incredible.
0: We've been pretty proud of it, and I will tell you that from an engineering standpoint, And from a staffing standpoint, we had full buy-in all the way down the line. So um, we had some incredible partners too that helped us get through the process.
2: Justin Zellner, who runs the Green Sports Alliance, was here doing environmental impact work as well about you know up until about three years ago, and he and Scott and others here work together to help be a founding member of the Green Sports Alliance, which also has played a really big role in, I think, getting leagues and teams and arenas from pro sports, college sports, sort of across the board really focused on their impact, and not only from a facility and building perspective, but also a fan and employee engagement perspective. So if you, you know, go to the Green Sports Alliance Summit or you know hook into any of the work they're doing, you realize it's actually become a, quite a big movement. And I think Green Sports Alliance started in 2011, 10? Somewhere on around there, each. So I yeah. think like since then, that's also really impacted how uh, sports is really looking at the green space.
1: So you mentioned that since 2008, you have cut your energy use in half. Can you walk me through what kind of energy savings you've implemented?
0: Sure. Uh, let me go list some of the projects. I mean, it you don't get it in one project. You get it in pieces, and uh, we've done everything. We did a 400-ton chiller, which we retrofitted uh, to a new technology. Uh, the old technology, it was either on or it's off. We went to a variable speed drive on the chiller units, and basically that alone was 450 460,000 kilowatts saved per year Um, just that one change now in addition to getting the savings we're also reducing the wear and tear on the equipment because the equipment isn't running at full speed all the time that we should get a lot longer life out of the equipment so there's been an advantage for me from a from a maintenance standpoint that we can extend the life of equipment it's a big asset for the building Um, we went with high efficiency boiler units Um, that was another 50,000 uh, therms of energy that was saved by a high-efficiency boiler, and basically we have staged boilers, and so instead of a big boiler working, we'll turn on boiler one, and if we need more, we go to two, we go to three, and we stage them up so that the boilers are working at peak efficiency, and we're not throwing the heat out the exhaust, so to speak, we're basically getting almost all the efficiency out of the, out of the fuel. Um, now my favorite project, which is the LED lighting project. The LED lighting project was when we retrofitted the arena to LEDs uh, from metal halide lights. Metal halides had some huge issues with them. Number one, they're not as energy efficient as you would like to have in a building. Um, Number two is they generate a ton of heat. And number three is, and most important for me, was the safety factor. If the power goes out or you take a power bump, during a game, you would have a 30-minute cooling period for the bulbs to cool off before they could restrike, and then another 15, sometimes 20 minutes for them to get the full brightness again. So, should you take a power bump during a game, you were basically out of light for 50 minutes.
1: That, did that ever happen when you had those lights? It
0: did not. Oh, lucky. Uh, <laughs> we, very fortunate in, in that, but you know, it, there were some times that we did take a bump, but it wasn't long enough for the bulbs to recycle. So we came very, very close and basically at that point, your audience is sitting in a fairly dark arena, the generator would come on, and we'd have some emergency lights, but it was kind of a game-ending thing that would happen, then you'd have to work on getting everybody out of the building and all that. Now we go to LEDs, and get into some of the lighting and the efficiencies of them, but the LEDs are instantaneous. They can go off and on. Matter of fact, we have an effect where they just turn off and on. So they're absolutely instantaneous. So if we took a bump during a game, It's a bump. It's a flicker. And since all of our sound equipment is backed up with UPSs, our scoring equipment, we wouldn't even stop the game necessarily. It would be a, oh, wow, that was interesting. Just keep going. And uh, the referees have said they would probably pause for a second to make sure it was stable again, and we'd just keep going. So the audience would really be unaffected by this, and the safety of our guests would be huge. Now from an energy standpoint. The previous lighting system was uh, thirteen hundred watt metal halides. They had mechanical shutters on them, so that when, if you wanted to go dark during the arena, the shutters would shut, and the light would still be running,
1: oh.
0: and you're generating all of that heat still. And then you'd open up again for the event. Like we said earlier, we had the you know forty to fifty minute restrike time in case we took a power bump. Uh, we have two hundred and ten of those fixtures, and then our illumination on the floor was one hundred and ninety five foot candles. This will be important in a minute okay so we ripped that all out and got rid of it the uh, new lighting is an led lighting out of south korea Uh, we went with 460 light sources 200 watts each and it's instantaneous strike and amazingly when we turn these lights on uh, we went from 195 foot candles to 320 foot candles on the floor so that is a massive increase at the same time we were saving 63 percent of the energy so i'm only using a third of the energy I was using before but I've tripled my light almost, not quite triple, but almost tripled the light on the floor. It was almost too much. So as a result of this we did a game or two at full lighting and the players and everybody said it is it's really really bright on the floor. So we've ended up dimming it now to eighty percent for the games. So the wonderful thing about LEDs is we're dimming it. So what we've managed to do here is my savings are actually greater than we anticipated because we're able to dim this down. On the old lights the 1300 watts per fixture was almost entirely put out as heat on the unit. It was so hot up there that you could you couldn't touch the the lights at all, you'd gotten burned. Then I'd have to take that heat, power up a chiller to pull the heat back out of the arena again, because I'm heating up an arena that's already warm. With the new LED lights, the lights run cool, you can put your hand on the light fixtures and not get burned, in fact they barely feel warm when they're running and they're not generating any of that excess heat, so I'm not having to pay for it twice by having to run a chiller unit to pull this heat outside again. So all of this has happened, and because of the fact that we can now turn on individual light fixtures, we can run security lights at night with just uh, 10% lighting on a few fixtures. Now we have security lighting. During the setup and cleanup, I'm running uh, 20% on the fixtures, 20% lighting, so 80% off, 20% on. And dimming down those, and we're able to save probably 90% of the energy we were using on our, on our conversions.
1: That's amazing. So what, what year did you do the LED switch? Last year. Last, Just last year. Okay. I was going to say, as a, I'm a Blazer maniac, and so I really enjoy going to games. And there, I mean, I'm there with 20, 22,000 other fans, right? And it would get really warm in there. And I feel like in the last year, even as a, as a fan, the fan experience, it seems more comfortable, the building itself. Uh, doesn't feel quite so hot. Uh, I would still, agree with it's that. It's still plenty of fun. but
0: uh, um, We've had to uh, re-educate our engineers on how to run it because of the heat from the lights not up there. And it took us a while to understand how that affected the building and how to reduce those air conditioning loads. But you're absolutely right. You can mm-hmm. feel the difference out there. Mm-hmm. And the lighting itself is so much more crisp. and clean. It is directed on the floor. We're able to control it better. And because we went from... 210 fixtures to over uh, 460 fixtures we don't have the shadows mm-hmm. and that was one of the reasons why we went with with smaller lights and more of them is when you walk out in the floor now you don't get the shadow coming across the floor like we used to um that was the first thing the players noticed when they went out there is hey this is great you know we don't have the shadows that we used to have
2: mm-hmm. when did you do the weight room and locker room human-centered lighting project
0: Uh, About the same time. Um, Last year? Yeah, it was. Uh, We went to a lighting in there that has uh, a variable color temperature. Uh, So basically when the players come in, there's a white light, more like sunlight, where they feel energized, they wake up, they can go. And then at the evening time when they're done with the game, the color temperature changes to more of an incandescent color light, which you'd have from a standard light bulb. Much warmer, more calming, and uh, there's a whole science behind the uh, physics of the lights and the effects it has on people
1: that is so fascinating yeah it actually
2: impacts recovery so that's like obviously before the game like bringing up energy and stuff and i think i read that that can have an up to two percent impact on performance Uh just based on that kind of that lighting at the beginning and then at the end having that warmer light speeds up recovery which is fascinating so our trainers it's like part of you know nutrition and hydration and it's like something that we're thinking about, you know,
1: lighting as part of the
2: experience for, for players.
1: So not just energy, typical energy savings, but pe- human energy exactly. savings. Exactly, yeah. That is An fascinating, impact, right? yeah. So in addition to the arena and the weight room, uh, are your Trailblazer offices also all LED lights?
0: We're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's These a process. Are. These are, and we just did the whole front area. Um, we did... Uh, a great example is the club level. Uh, at one time, that was almost, it was several hundred, almost 435-watt mr 16s which uh, I, I don't expect everyone to know what those are, but those are very inefficient lights. We replaced those with 5- and 8-watt LED lights, so I've cut the load down by a tremendous amount. And the other part of this we haven't really discussed is the fact is that a lot of those lights only lasted me a year or two, including the arena lights, before I had to change the bulbs out. So I had an electrician who did nothing but change bulbs all the time. So now we've not only cut on the, on the, on the club level, we've, ch- we've changed the light down to just a fraction of what it was, the power consumption. The light looks good, but they're dependable. We've only had one light bulb failure in the last three years up there.
1: One light bulb.
0: One light bulb failure wow. of the LEDs. So my electrician can actually do other things other than change light bulbs.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. In addition to these uh, fascinating projects that are saving energy, uh, as an organization and as an arena, you've also chosen to purchase renewable energy from your utility. Can you tell me a little about that?
0: We're using 100% offset, so it's all energy that comes from renewable sources, whether that be hydro, whether that be wind energy. Um, I actually believe that most of it's out of those two. Uh, It's hydro or wind right now. And so 100% of our energy we're offset by those by those energy sources. So.
1: And that's through Pacific Power. Yeah, which
2: brings up another thing that I forgot to mention when we were talking about our goals, which is that in addition to reducing our water use and energy use, we also balance all the water that we do use, and we also offset all the energy that we do use. So the Pacific Power is on the kilowatt side, and then for our natural gas, we work with um, an organization called Wildlife Works, and they, they're a red... Program and they offset all of our natural gas use through their program, which is amazing. And then we balance all of our water through Change the Course, which is a Bonneville Environmental Foundation program. That's and good. we have a tree planting program as well. I and we plant
1: trees. And you plant trees. Yeah. Lots, lots and lots and lots. And lots, and lots trees. Of trees. Daimler through trees. Trees for trees. Yeah. For trees. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and Then that's with Daimler, right?
2: Yeah. yeah, with Daimler, which is really interesting too, because I think you know, thanks to partners who can bring a lot of attention to programs like that one, and um, you know, our partnership with Urban Cleaners, same kind of thing we are able to help really communicate the message to fans around not only that we really care about this, but that we hope they do too. And what we find from surveys is that our fans not only think that we are committed to the environment, but that they expect a lot out of us. So for example, I think, I can't remember the exact number, but like over 95% of our fans expect that we recycle. Great. Expect that we compost. Okay. Expect that we recover food at the end of games and give it to uh, food insecure families, like over ninety percent of people are expecting us to do this. This is this is you know what I mean, like this, which is not something that every arena does. Luckily, we do those things, but it's just fascinating to me that our fans, uh, and I love it. Like I love that our fans say, like, yeah, we get that you're committed to the
1: environment, and we expect that you're doing all these things. Mm-hmm. It's great. It really shows that the the organization is in the right spot. I mean, the Pacific Northwest really values sustainability and green, and I think that says a lot that it's just an expectation like that is supposed to be the norm totally and I think we're fortunate that we live in a place that
0: and I got to give up credit to our fans too quite frankly I mean part of this uh, like the recycling we just brought up we ended up designing our own recycling containers uh, sorting containers Uh, we just couldn't find any on the open market that worked for us Um, and then we made the commitment to serve all of our food in recyclable flat uh, excuse me compostable not recyclable compostable flatware and all of the serving utensils are all 100 percent compostable mm-hmm. and now our fans have embraced this now what some of my favorite stories are is you'll see them walk up with their trash that used to be thrown away and they will literally have pictures of what goes in what bin so that you don't have to think too hard and they can dump the whole thing right in the food composting bin whereas before that was going in the trash now it's not unusual for see some of our long-term fans look into the trash bin, Mm -hmm. see something that doesn't belong in there, and reach in there, grab it, and throw it in the right bin. So there's actually been a little education program going on between the fans. Uh And then of course, then post-game, all of this would come downstairs and we go through it one more time. We actually have a sorting table and our crews go through and they try to pull out, you know, people make mistakes and they don't understand how things could go. And so our composting team will go out there and they'll start sorting this stuff out, put it into the bags, and get it in the right spot. And that's how we've really gotten to the 91% that we're sitting at right now. We'd love to get to the 100%, and we'll talk about that some more some other time, but that's, we're getting close. close.
2: We yeah. had one game, we had one fully waste-free game. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we'll have to, we'll get there. There's some challenges yeah,
0: uh, on there. And then, of course, then the food compost goes to a company that uh, takes it all and They compost it, and then we'll get some of it back in our planters. We oh. actually oh, take cool. the compost and put it back into our planters. Uh-huh. So it's kind of a full cycle yeah. thing going on here. DeSantis at, at
2: Landscaping actually uses our compost as our uh, fertilizer, basically, or our um, soil. Here.
0: Yeah, basically it, for the plants and everything. They keep the planters up, and it's it's uh, it's great stuff you can put your hand in it there's no smell to it there's no hard piece of plastic it's all gone it's all been composted and uh, it looks good
2: in addition the food that we don't compost that's reusable at the end of the game you know we obviously produce a lot more food than we sell and so we have all this great usable food at the end of the game urban gleaners who are amazing if you don't know them already they come and pick up all of that food bring it to their warehouse And then we send volunteers, and they have volunteers, and we resort the food into manageable sort of family-sized packages, and then they deliver it to schools and homeless shelters to help serve families who are food insecure. So, it's a pretty cool program. It's an amazing program, actually, and they do amazing work. And I think it's actually one of my favorite programs because it's, you know, that's that's food that would otherwise get composted, but it obviously goes to such a better. That's but the ultimate use. Yeah. Right
0: yeah there. Somebody cool. and
1: somebody needs it, somebody gets it. Yeah. And our food composting program yeah. is
0: huge. It's eight hundred and fifty thousand pounds last year. Mm-hmm. So this is not a little amount of uh, waste that's being recycled. It's a massive amount of of stuff that's being recycled. Mm-hmm.
1: And Krista, you just made a good point that it you know, it's healthy food. The food I mean, arena food sometimes has a, a bad reputation, but the, the Moda Center it's just—I mean—it's fantastic food. It's local. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably locally sourced in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it uh, is. again, blazing the trail with good food. At awesome Henry. beer and, and a awesome lot, beer. A lot, a lot of go. food
2: pantries have trouble getting fresh vegetables and proteins, right? And so when we can, we have, you know, chicken and quinoa and all of these amazing things that we can put in these packages for food. I mean, it just makes—it's very different than having, you know, not that.
1: So you mentioned earlier that you are trying to get fans to take more alternate modes of transportation to the games. What about uh, staff members? Do you have programs for staff working for the organization to to avoid more cars on the road?
0: Yes, we have bus passes. We will help uh, supplement their bus passes um, if they want to go that route. Um, obviously we encourage them to, to carpool and bike as much as possible and we actually have a significant amount of staff that gets to the motor center that way. When I take the train in or the max line in uh, from from Gresham uh, for a game, it is highly unusual not to have somebody else on that train that works here. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of uh, our staff that does it. Um, A lot of our fans do it. Uh, When You can tell from the surges that are coming into the building when the train stops and they unload you'll get this massive wave of people coming into the building. Um, They've learned that it's really efficient to get out of here uh, by using the train. You can get on the train and be out of the area and on to your, you know, heading home or wherever you're going to real efficiency and much quicker than you can by car. Mm -hmm. And so the cars have kind of limited themselves. And hey, let's face it, we've got 20,000 seats and 2,000 parking places. And so there really is a very limited amount of parking available. Mm -hmm. And most of our fans have to get here other ways.
1: Do you work with TriMet at all? You know, when they know that there's a, a game out, do they mm-hmm. increase bus service yeah. or bus lines? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I communicate with them really often on this, and as a team, uh, the parking team, it basically they get a schedule of our concerts, they get a schedule of our uh, our games, they know the end times, and then they schedule buses, I'll give a call out to Wade here from TriMet because he's uh, been my go-to guy and I'll call him and he'll add trains and buses and routes and and, and help us at the same time if uh, we've got something a special event or something happens TriMet has been really quick to come out and say listen we had a you know a, a power outage on on MAX train they'll actually get their people out there and they'll say this is how you get to where you're going we're sorry that we had a little in service interruption which doesn't happen very often mm-hmm. But they'll help us, and they'll actually make sure that our fans get home efficiently and safely.
2: The other thing that we do with employees, which is kind of fun, is we have these five green games that reflect our five focus areas. And so each one has a community partner that we work with and raise money for and raise awareness for and that does something right from – so like uh, Bonneville Environmental Foundation and Change the Course, we do an activation with them with Wells Fargo around our water game and incentivize our fans to text in and – balance a thousand or restore a thousand gallons of fresh water to the Deschutes or Willamette river. And then they get a, you know, sustainably sourced t-shirt. We do sort of fun little fan engagement things around each of our specific games. And we do that with employees. And the hope is to sort of incentivize that kind of more sustainable behavior. And on the transportation side, we do is for transportation week when our transportation game is we last year, at least basically gave a raffle ticket to anyone who went anywhere not by car so for the whole week if you walk to lunch if you walk to work if you take bike down somewhere instead of driving to wherever you get a raffle ticket and then we pulled the raffle winner got the looped works upcycled special item in the game I think it was like a backpack or something so we give all of our old jerseys and old gear that we can't use anymore to looped works and they upcycle all that stuff into cool one-of-a-kind items that we Give away and sell. I like
0: to kind of tie into that with another project that we do, and that is we call it the Great Summer Cleanout. And every summer, we go down to our loading docks and we set up huge bins for wood and metal and electronics. All the paint and chemicals get sorted out. And what we do is, um, buildings seem to collect the stuff. Uh, sometimes it's a mystery how it gets here, but sure. it does get here. <laughs> and so every summer, we do the Great Cleanout and we go through the buildings. Now, what this is good here is we allow our our employees and their families to bring their stuff in too we actually have a crew that tears apart equipment so if some of it's recycling and some of it isn't or if some of it's electrical and some of it's wood for instance they'll disassemble it on the spot separate the components into the bins and uh, it's become in addition to recycling we're also finding that uh, I, there was a set of tires, and I, I use this as an example because it's just a, a small example, but one of the employees had sold the car, had a new set of tires for it, and said, well, I, I need to get rid of these tires, brought them down to be recycled. Another employee says, oh, wait a minute, that fits my car. <laughs> Next thing I know, those things are gone. And so there's been a little bit of not only the recycling going on, but it's become kind of a, I guess we'll call it a swap market, where people are coming in and able to say, you're getting rid of that? Well, listen, I could use that. And gets reused mm-hmm. which is the ultimate recycling in my in my opinion mm-hmm. but we're just getting ready to do that we'll do that again in August and it's we call it the great cleanout
1: so you've mentioned a number of partners that you've worked with through the years on on various aspects of your sustainability goals are there any other uh, partners out there that have really helped you get where you are today
0: well the one that I work with the most and as we as a company work with the most is energy trust of oregon they have allowed us to do projects that were just not financially capable of doing without their support. Um, they have been with us since the beginning. Um, we have done a, uh, a seminar here with, with that. Sure other buildings, and uh, they actually put it together. We were able to show other buildings we've been able to do here. They have been a huge, huge partner of ours
2: and they're just an amazing resource so even personally when you look at their residential and like they just have a ton of great information and, and ways that individuals can help and so we try to promote that as well so that folks are looking at oh like whether it's a you know a light kit that they send or a shower head low flow shower head whatever it is they just have a ton of great resources for commercial and residential
1: any future plans for other energy-saving projects or other sustainability goals?
2: It,
0: it doesn't end. Obviously, there is no finish line on energy savings. So right now, the big ones for us is uh, we have two arenas here. We have the MOA Center, which is really what we've been talking about, but we also manage the city-owned Veterans Memorial Coliseum. This summer, already this year, we've re- re-insulated and re-roofed it, so that helps. It had very little insulation being a 1950s building, 1960s actually. Now it is getting full LED lighting like the motor center does. That's in process. We'll be starting that on August 1st. We've put new chillers in there as well. So two of the main chillers for the ice floor and for the air conditioning are also brand new high efficiency chillers. So we're starting now to switch our focus um, not only from the motor center, but we want to also take the knowledge we've gained from the motor center and bring it over to the VMC. And I'll also say that the practice facility the Blazers use is now 100% LED lit, which is huge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that light is on all the time. Players are always practicing. They've always have some events going on over there. So just before I did the motor center lighting, we did the motor center lighting. We were able to convert the practice facility over to LED as well. And the savings over there have been instantaneous and amazing. They could not believe the difference in the bills.
1: There you have it, Trailblazer fans. No surprise, Oregon's professional basketball team is paving the way, and yes, blazing the trail, in sustainability and energy savings. And you help them get there. Learn more about the Trailblazers on their website, trailblazers.com. See photos of the Moda Center on our blog, energyinfo.oregon.gov. Learn more about our work at www.oregon.gov slash energy. All episodes of Grounded are available on soundcloud.com slash oregonenergy. Subscribe to Grounded using your favorite podcast app, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Thanks again for listening to Grounded, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Energy.